from WBEZ Chicago in the depths of your soul. And this is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built their dream, a town where happiness was the main objective. But, as history has shown, nothing gold can stay. So kick off your boots and join us as we unlock the memories of Pleasure Town. Welcome back, friend. I see Cyrus didn't chase you away with all his intellectual mumbo-jumbo. Nor did Claude offend you with his brass and bass nature. I guess that means we might as well keep on talking. I'll let you take it away, Cyrus, since you seem so pleased by the sound of your own voice. I will not feel bad for being heard, especially after all these years. Claiming a patch of dirt is your home, and making it a home are two different things. And that's where all our energies went in those first few years. I've never done so much sawing and hammering in my life. But then we looked up and there were people, well over a hundred by my count. Real, living, breathing people. And these people looked at us for direction. As if going off into the Oklahoma wilderness and erecting a town was as easy as pitching a tent. Joke was on them. The community is more than just a bunch of buildings. It's rules and regulations. And there ain't no tool for that. I had an idea of what our people would look like. The folk on the fringe. And for the most part, I was right. But every once in a while, there came an outlier. A puzzle piece that would never fit. Not that everyone wasn't welcome in our town, but there were definitely those who could never take to the life and living that Pleasure Town was all about. Bunch of wet blankets. Sticks in the mud. The whole lot of them. I got real good about counting down to when they'd all turn tail and run back home. Claude and I would wager on their departure, and I lost only one such bet. Little Mormon kid, as wide-eyed as wide-eyed could get. But between you and me, it was the best bet I ever lost. Lord, lift me up to the light. Lord, lift me up to the sky. If you're down with the devil and the pouring rain, don't you ever look back if he calls your name. Oh, Lord, lift me up to the light. Morning used to mean something more beautiful to me. It was the celebration of a world laid before me, replete with possibilities, lit by a ball of fire passed from the glorious hand of the Creator to the humble house I drank my milk in. Now it's just another day, but I am excited, that's for sure. Utah is far behind me. My mission was to be in Arizona, of all places. Maybe that's what made the decision for me. Elder Branson got Metapec in Mexico and all the wonders over there. Elder Gosling got Paris in France and all the rich history it has to offer. I got Tucson flipping Arizona. Hot is what I had to look forward to. Not exotic, not enchanting. Hot and dry. You know who lives in a desert? Snakes, 
lizards, and more Mormons. Not to mention the lack of, you know, things in general. And wasn't that just perfect for me? I wasn't much without my family and the others in my church. Despite this fact, my sisters loved to taunt me mercilessly about how terrible I was at cards and cooking, like there was nothing else in the world worthy to be skilled at. My parents, bless them, never said anything but they tease because they love, which is a lot like saying shut up and take it, which I did, because I'm not to raise my voice to anyone, let alone family. And so it went, and so it went. I followed the word. I studied, and I kept my purity. The whole time, I'm hoping for a miracle at the end of the tunnel of puberty, or at least a nice trophy for the work, and instead I get invited to Tucson. And when I complained, what did I get? Shut up and take it. So I kissed them all goodbye, turned my back on Utah and the sunset, and never made it to Arizona. Instead, I kept going east towards the sunrise, until a coach I parlayed into taking me a mite further happened upon a quiet little place the Sooners call Pleasure Town. Upon arriving, I was immediately greeted by one of its founders, a man named Cyrus, who gave me a rundown of the town's rules in just two short sentences. Pleasure, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Ecstasy, but not at the expense of the town. So here I am, waking up. A little money in my pocket and day one before me. I was hoping for a revelation, or a feeling of escape. Instead, it's just another day. And I couldn't be happier. I've never felt a feeling of apathy before. Why would you when the world is a gift from the hand of the cosmos? But like I said... Utah's behind me, and this is just a page in the book. I head out. There are people. They're all too busy to care what I have to think. Long mustaches here and there. A fat man in long john stumbling around soaking wet. Apparently he was too drunk to finish his morning bath. An old lady in steel gray by the name of Goldie, and I only know this because a fella keeps calling after her, apologizing for missing the rent again and hoping maybe she'll let him stay the month... "'Cause he's got nothing else nowheres. "'Seems his name is Mud Dervish, "'and I know this because she's muttering it rather unpleasantly "'as she goes on her way. "'No one says good day "'or tells me to have a blessed one or anything at all. "'I'm invisible, but I don't feel insignificant. "'I'm everyone, and I'm no one. "'My choices are just mine, "'and my actions are just mine.' and my consequences are just mine. I have no one but myself to blame, and I feel, finally, like no one, not even the Creator, is watching me here. I think I'll go shopping. I've been in the same damn clothes for a week now, including the trip, and still no one around here dresses as crisp as I do. Time to fit in. The shop is near the room I'm renting. It didn't take long to find a room here. Lots of folks coming and going. I didn't even have to sleep on a bench when I got in yesterday. The door is blue, bright blue, and the paint is uneven and dried on the hinges like someone just didn't care. That door needed to be blue, and that was that. Inside, it's dark, 
lit only by a dusting of sun through the window. The name of the store, Bulger's Necessities, is painted on the window, and the sun throws parts of the name on the floor in shadow. It smells like musty cinnamon, and the floorboards creak when I walk. It's quiet in here, like it's just waiting for a conversation to start. And there, in front of me, by a section marked ladies, is a maiden with curly red hair in what looks like a cotton dress the maker forgot to make the middle of. She thumbs a coat, purple with some feathery material along the edge, like she's questioning it. She turns to the man at the counter, fat, bearded in a fashionable cap and glasses, bulger, I presume. He's drinking from a bottle of something brown, teetering with a plastered smile on his face. He tips his hat to her, she takes the coat off the hook and puts it on with a twirl. Her hair catches some of the sun, and it looks like wildfire. She stops and looks right at me. You're new, aren't you? Great. It's that obvious. <laughs> I smile back and nod. How am I not shy? Because it's just another day and I don't care. Back in Utah, it was about politeness when meeting someone for the first time. There were steps. There was a code. And then there was holding hands and reading. Here, I have no idea what's next. So I'll just smile and nod. She says, My name is Shiner, because it's what I'll give you if you don't ask me out. This makes Bulger laugh. <coughs> More like a splutter and a cough, but I assume it's a laugh. I blush. I can't help but not. And then I stammer. I tell her, I'm John. That's not my real name, but that's my name here. And I haven't had breakfast yet. Shiner turns around to give a look at Bulger. He shrugs and drinks. She turns back to me. John, are you asking me to breakfast? And I say, yes, ma'am, I am. Because I want to. Because I'm hungry. Because I want to eat with her. Watch how she eats, what she orders, and who knows what else after that. I'm not taking my time. I don't have to plan ahead. Ask if she's free this weekend. The steps don't count here. So I say, Yes, ma'am, I am. And Shiner smiles with one side of her mouth and puts on the coat. She turns around to Bulger. My tab. Bulger laughs and shakes his head. <laughs> Shiner pouts and takes off the coat. Without a stammer, I ask Bulger how much for the coat. This stops the mood. Shiner looks shocked. Bulger looks curious. Shiner shakes her head. Just breakfast, new boy. No need to be a hero. I walk up to the counter and ask Bulger again, like I'm some sort of man's man. Bulger looks to Shiner with his eyebrows high enough to stroke his hat. Shiner puts her hands up. Bulger looks at me, red-eyed and about to laugh. The words tumble out of his mouth like an overpacked suitcase suddenly jostled open. That's a uh, four dollars, or something. And I put down five dollars, because I can. Bulger shakes his head and completes the purchase. Shiner puts on the purple coat and completes the transaction. Walking arm in arm with my new friend stiffens my spine, but my head is miles away. Why the routine? Why was it always so hard to get to this moment? And why, now... Was it so much easier? 
Is it this place, here, there are no steps? Or was it me? Am I different? It's been a day here. It's still morning. And I met a gal, bought a coat, and she's on my arm all before I've even had my breakfast. What's the problem with any of this? Why was it so hard back in Utah? We come to a yellow shack called Wholesome Gulch. There are stools outside. People are sitting. Women on men's laps, men on women's laps, men on men, women on women, and a skinny fellow running back and forth with a full plate of hot food. He's laughing with the customers. There's a big muscular man named Jam with hair that looks like it could cut wood. There's a pair of twin gals, one called Flora and the other Fauna, both with chestnut hair and gawky smiles. There's a spidery man with no teeth telling jokes and making funny faces that everyone seems to find just the right tonic for the morning. Everyone knows everyone, but not like at home. Here they know each other well. Shiner introduces me around. This is John. He's a new boy. Some well-dressed fella named Rudd gives me a nod, tips his derby, and asks what my deal is. I tell him I'm on a mission. He asks what kind. I tell him I'm a shaman, a mystic, close to heaven enough that I could tell him all about it. Rudd laughs. (laughs) Then what brings you here? And two plates of golden breakfast are landed in front of Shiner and me, as well as two tins of hot black coffee. And I stare into those cups. In the swirling, steaming pitch, there is a dark uncertainty. I was told this was wrong, this was a hot ticket out of the garden, that garden that was there for me in eternity. My garden. And if I want it, I have to follow the rules, do the steps, stay the course. And I smelled that rich, black coffee. And I thought to myself, a garden made just for me, thrown away just because I had some of this happiness? It takes a long time to perfect a garden, and though it's eternity, and I'm sure it's no skin off an angel's back, would they really throw it all away because of one cup of coffee that I shared with a friend? Would it matter? Doesn't seem right to me, a garden that costly. And if it could be that easily thrown away, would it really be that wonderful? And then I burn my lip as I sip and I stare out into the street. Well, I clear my throat slowly, another sip. You know when you die, there's a white stone path to the garden that has been chosen for you to raise your family in. And I've seen that garden, and it's green and pockets of flowers burst out like fireworks, and there's clear streams and all the fruit you can think of. But I have never seen a plate of eggs this beautiful, so I figured I should have some before I get to that garden. This makes the crew laugh. It's a good, dirty laugh. Rudd claps my shoulder. Well, John the Shaman. Shaman John. Eat up before it gets cold. And we do. And we laugh. And I hear stories, body stories of silly things these folks get up to in town. And Shiner laughs and sits on my lap and we have breakfast. The day passes like a wave. At dusk, Shiner and I, having walked the town, sit under a tree and share a bag of rock candy. 
She asks me questions. What happens when you die? What is love? Do you think you're where you're supposed to be? Could I be an angel and not know? Why it? doesn't God prove he's real? How come we have to be sad sometimes? Have you ever seen a ghost? Are you a ghost? And I answer with spurred thoughts that may be insight, may be tall tales, may be even outright lies. None of the answers matter. We're not achieving any spiritual enlightenment and are not questing for truth or the word. We are just spending time. I sit back against the tree. Shiner crawls to me and kisses me on the mouth. Right then and there. Her eyes are steel and hungry. Mine are shaking. I don't know what is next. She kisses me again, forcing my jaw to drop and licking the tip of my tongue. I close my mouth around her lips and pull like on the edge of a warm glass. I drink her kiss, and I feel the nerve endings under my skin prickle. My heart rubs up against the bones in my chest, and my lungs swell and fall. I am asleep, and I am awake. And then it happens. I feel guilt, like a cold rain, but inside me. Shiner pulls back and looks at me. She's no longer a warm glow in the shade. She's just a girl with skin and hair and organs like anyone else. I see sweat. I smell earth. And it's all so familiar. I think of my family, my sisters, who would one day grow up to be a girl like Shiner is, but instead of fast and loose, they'd be chaste and pure, pillars of belief, strong and unmovable. The words burst out in a whisper, I can't. The air changes from perfume to just atmosphere. Shiner sits back, confused, like a child when the string on her yo-yo breaks. I put my hand on hers and say, We are still people, and we are still searching. I can help you with that, but I don't know how to go any further. And it's all true, and I hate that it is. It's like there's a locked box inside me that's been carefully guarded for many years, and it opened without my say. Why have a lock when anyone can have a key? I sit in my unpacked soul as she walks away, and I sit back against that tree. It's day one, and I've seen the whole town, I've met new people, I've given advice, I've guided and been guided, and I've met and kissed a stranger. Though Utah is far behind me, it is still inside me. I'm still me, and my memories, and the work I've put in before I left. Was it all for nothing? Would it be? Who watches me now that I'm invisible? Lord, lift me up to the light. Lord, lift me up to the sky. You're down with the devil in the pouring rain Don't you ever look back if he calls your name Oh Lord, lift me up to the light Pleasure Town will return in a moment
I worried Pleasure Town would be just a bunch of grizzled men. You know, too many windmills, not enough whales. But fortunately, some of these grizzled men brought with them their ladies, many of whom I got to know intimately, if you know what I mean. We are all aware of your habits, Claude. It wasn't just a habit, Cyrus. It was a form of reverence. The women of Pleasure Town were tough as rawhide. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. And let me tell you, I don't think there was a more rugged female soul that ever walked the earth than one Ma Barker. Love and pain have always been intertwined for me. Like the way a muscle wraps itself around a bone. It started when I felt the hot sting of my daddy's hand across my face as a little girl. For some people, this union of pain and love can turn them inside out, leave them hollow. But this story, this is a story about how I took that strange brew to write myself a new page. Let me start by saying I got exactly what I deserve. The punishment, it fit the sin and... Boy, did I sin. There was misdeed, transgression, violation. Now that I passed on, I had no shortage of words, which I now use to paint the images and feelings that have been swimming round my thick head. But yeah, violation, an act that breaks law, a code which are two things that were absent from my pitiful life. Daddy's world broke apart when we lost Mama to consumption. I was too little to remember many good days. My first memories growing up were of Daddy being an unpredictable swirl of rage and sorrow. He eventually turned to Jesus to be his constant companion, and I was left to fend for myself. Remember Leviticus 29, Maddie? Papa would boom when I'd sass him. For every one that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. And then he'd shake me until my head flopped like a rag doll, and my neck would be sore for days after. I became a little hellion despite my father, accepting my regular beatings as a price I had to pay. I'd put grass burrs in his boots, tie tin cans to the cat's tail, and as soon as I got my curves, I used them to my full advantage. That's how I met Henry. I had put on my best dress and crawled out my bedroom window, saw him leaning up against a lamp post, huffing on a cigarette with a crooked half-smile. His grin had me instantly smitten. Matty was a pretty little thing and a fire started a boot. That's probably what drew me to her. I never met a woman before who had such a hard head mounted on top of such a voluptuous body. I had no problems passing myself off as kind and caring because I believed myself to be exactly that. I saw my potential to become a destructive man, but I was sure a woman as sweet and fiery as her would keep me on the straight and narrow. Even though the kiss came sooner than I expected, I could feel my future in his embrace. I went home and threw my clothes and some fancy soap that Mama gave me in a bag, pretty pleased my escape plan had come so clear and so easy. But ain't nothing worth a damn come that easy. 
We tied the knot that first week. Henry was all sweetness and fun in the beginning. Our days were all drinking and laughing. He told me he'd take care of me, and I knew it was true when I watched him win a whole handful of cash playing cards. I was over the moon to have a man looking at me like I was a delicious piece of pie. Looking at my past, it's hard to think I could end up any other way. I was a child of fear and scars and ignorance. Tried my best not to become that destructive man, but do you really believe you can tell a twister not to wreck everything in its path? But I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just asking you to consider one simple thing. It could have been you. The weather between us turned cloudy without much warning. One day, Henry came home in a foul mood. He lost our rent money, betting on a race. His face had a familiar scowl. His eyes full of that same fire my daddy had. I knew he just needed some of my kindness to snap him out of his rut. So I tried to put my arms around him, but he pushed me away. So I made him dinner, and let him be. I was a man of failure. Everything I put my hand to crumbled to dust. And the more failures, real or imagined, that would pile on, the more desperate I would become until I convinced myself that the only thing I could control was her. A shift and click in my mind and she became the target for all my rage. I now see that this moment was the true end. The point of no return. He began to sport that spiteful face more and more. Eventually, the charm inside of Henry was a fuzzy memory, like the well-worn photograph of Mama I kept in my drawer. Henry was always sulking over something, his cons turned upside down, his schemes backfiring. I took to covering his debts by going professional with my carnal skills. We had vowed to be together for richer or poorer, but me bringing in money by entertaining the town's menfolk just made things worse. One hot July afternoon, I had my back to Henry as I watched the bacon heat up in the skillet. I smelled his aftershave. I saw his shadow. And then the inside of my head was rattled with a flash of light and a sound like the clap of thunder. That first swing catches you off guard just as much as it does her. You play that moment back and back again. Hoping it was something, anything else that struck her face. But there's her on the floor and her blood on your knuckles. Sure, you've grown to despise her a bit, but cringing at the sound of her voice and raising your hand against her are two different things. It couldn't have been you, but it was. I woke up on the kitchen floor familiar flavor of metal in my mouth. Henry was standing over me, not sure which one of us looked more surprised. I figured this was just how men dealt with life when it all got too much. And then it became just as customary as sickness in winter. Both of us hoping it wouldn't come, but both of us knowing there wasn't nothing we could do to stop it. And I tried to stop it, but the broken part of me 
That bastard grew like the rush that followed each swing. Henry kept unraveling like an old sock. He'd stay out all night, coming home to pull me from the bed and pummel me with all his might until he passed out with a half smile. It was a type of life that would make a better person turn to prayer. But I'm not one to believe in a higher power. I had to call upon the only person in my life that never let me down. And that person was me. Mama named me Matilda. Means strength in battle. She must have seen it in me as a baby, and I ain't never lost that spirit, no matter how bad things got. Every time I was belittled, every time I took a punch, every time I thought there was no way I could take another goddamn breath, I'd remind myself that I was born a warrior. Old Maddie comforted Henry after he hit her. Matilda used that comfort for herself. I'd walk over to the brothel, even when it wasn't time for me to be working. Me and the ladies would drink and laugh, reminded me about who I used to be. As you can imagine, Henry didn't take too kindly to Matilda, so he tried his best to beat her out of me. I could hit her, but I could never really knock her down. She'd give me a look, tell me not today, not tomorrow, not gonna happen. And strong as ever, she'd go back to mending or cooking or walk out to that job my mistakes had forced her into. Once the rage faded, I'd curse the broken parts of me, curse and swinging them, try to knock them down. Never could land those blows, though. A gal can only take so much, and Matilda had had enough. I had just come back from work. Spend all your time at that damn cat house, Maddie. What you do you're supposed to do for a change? Be a good wife. Go ahead and make your husband some supper. Sure thing, Henry. Henry was looking for Maddie, so Maddie's what I gave him. Took that skillet out of the cupboard, started frying him up some meat. You were a waste. You know that? Man's only got so many years, and you wasted most of mine. And that was it. I swung that frying pan at his head with all my might, and goddamn, did it make an ungodly sound, like a melon that got dropped from a windmill, just all thud and gush and splat. And there he lay, his skull freshly dented, his same stupid, crooked half-smile on his lips. Every blow I'd given her was bound up in that swing. Packed in tight. As I fell, the broken parts of me pieced together. And for once, I was whole. And I saw myself for who I was. A craving fool. Blinded by fear. Desperate to possess everything she had. I put a comb through my hair, put on my best dress, and made my way to the bar just down the road. I settled in and ordered a double of his finest rye. I looked down to see that my arms were speckled with Henry's blood. Barkeep looked at my arms, looked at me, and then poured me another shot. Oh, my 
We might not have done everything by the book, mainly because there was no book to go off of. Still, for some, Pleasure Town managed to become the path they needed to find themselves. But those are stories for another time. Pleasure Town is written and produced by myself, Keith Ecker. And me, Aaron Cahoe. Direction and sound design by Joe Dassault. This episode featured stories by Josh Zagorin and Eileen Doherty. And was performed by Josh Zagorin, Miriam Sob, Justin Verstraight, Van Wilson, Deanna Moffat, and Joe Dassault. Our interns are Emily Modaff and Alison Agumakun. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows like Curious City at wbez.org slash podcasts. You can find us on iTunes and be sure to rate or review us while you're there. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find us on Facebook and Twitter to get regular updates about the show. And join the story now at wbez.org slash pleasure town. Ain't no hallowed ground When the sun goes down Hear the secrets and the sounds of pleasure town At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, Sometimes, you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.